All right, thank you, baby. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. When I've been with you, we have been in the book of Ruth, and we find our way to chapter 4. However, we've got to catch up, because it's been a little while, hasn't it? And so we're going to have to catch up, and I'm going to remind you what has been going on in the book of Ruth. So go ahead, find that book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. And then we get to Ruth, don't we? All right, the setting really takes place in chapter 1. In chapter 1, let me just paraphrase, otherwise we'd be here all night, and I don't think anybody wants to be here all night. In chapter 1, we find a family. We find a family, and Elimelech is the father, okay? Naomi is his wife, and this family has two sons, Malon and Kilion. And they live in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. Okay? Bethlehem is where the people of God are. And in a way, it represents the presence of God. The problem is that chapter 1 tells us that a famine came over the land. And so there's no food, there's no work, there's, there's nothing for this family to uh, take hold of to survive. And so one day, Elimelech looks to his wife and he looks to his children and he decides they need to go on a journey and he takes his family and they go on a trip to, thank you, to Moab. They go to Moab. Now you've got to remember, Moab is the enemy of the Israelites. They represent the people that are far away from God, okay? And so there's much division between the Israelites and the the people in Bethlehem and the people in Moab. However, this difficult time hits, and this man takes his family, and he goes towards Moab. Now, remember, the Bible says that he's going to go there for just a quick trip, Just a quick journey. He's just going to go just for a little while, but how long does he end up staying? Test time tonight, right? Ten years. They go and the family goes for a decade and they're in the land of Moab. Let me just remind you, when we get outside the will of God, when we make choices that do not honor God, many times we think it's just going to be a little bit, right? It's just going to be quick. We're going to run somewhere we shouldn't be. They're going to come back real quickly. But the truth is that when we get outside the will of God, many times we stay much longer than we ever expected. Sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. Anybody can testify to that? We've seen it in our life, hadn't we? And so the family goes, they go to, now next time I do that, somebody raise their hand for me. Okay, there we go. Thank you. Okay, so they go out, and they are in the land of Moab, and the two sons find a wife. They're there for a decade, and these two sons take a Moabite wife. Now, during this time period, all three men pass away. Elimelech, Malon, and Kilion all pass away in the land of Moab. All of a sudden, we read that Naomi hears that God has visited in Bethlehem. Things are better in Bethlehem. And so she begins to make her way back home. She's making her way back to Bethlehem. And as she's traveling to Bethlehem, she tells her two daughter-in-laws, you need to stay here. 
I, I cannot take care of you. I have no husband. I have no money. I have nothing. You need to stay in Moab. But the Bible tells us that Ruth would not leave her side. Ruth is dedicated. She is committed to Naomi. And so she makes the journey from Moab back into Bethlehem. When they come into Bethlehem, Naomi is broken. Remember her friends come around and she says, call me Mara. What does that mean? Anybody remember? Bitter. Call me Mara because I am bitter. Here's what she feels like. She feels like God has taken everything out of her life. She is blaming God because she's lost her husband and she's lost her two children. And she's at a point that she doesn't even know if life is worth living. You ever felt like that? She's at a point and she says, God has taken everything from me and now I am bitter. I have nothing to give. I have nothing left. And so she comes into Bethlehem and she is a broken individual. She feels like God has not treated her fairly, and she comes in, and it seems as though her mentality is, I've got nothing to offer but to go find a place and die. I don't have a way to make money. I don't have a husband. I don't have my sons. I've got nothing left. And we begin to see how God brings reconciliation to this family. Let me just remind you of this. Some of this stop and go stuff tonight, okay? It could be in your life, in my life, that we go through times and it just seems like it's all over. We go through times and maybe financially we look at our finances and we say, it's just tough. I have been dealt a bad hand. Maybe we look at our, our marriage, our relationship, and we say, it's just tough. It's not going well right now. Maybe we look at our children and it, it's tough. They're, they're not calling. They're not reaching out to us. Maybe we look at all these different things, and we, we step back and we say, man, I am just bitter. I just got this bad stuff going on in my life. I don't find the joy. I don't find the satisfaction from it. And if we're not careful, we step back and we begin to think that God is done with us. But what we see through the book of Ruth is that God is working. God is working in this family, in this life, but he's also working in your family and in your life. And so we begin to take this journey, and what we find is this. We find that if we put ourselves in the center of the will of God, then he can do great things. There is the providence of God, which means that he leads us and he lets things happen so that our life will be changed. And so when we get to chapter 2, we're just working our way here. We get to chapter 2. We find that Naomi is at home, but Ruth will not stay put. And she goes out and she finds a field to begin to work in. She goes out into the field and she's just picking up the grain that's left behind by the harvesters. And so just piece by piece, she's picking it up. And the Bible says it just so happened that Boaz came through the field. The landowner, the, the man who's got the resources, he came through and his eye just so happens to catch Ruth. And Ruth looks up and she just so happens to catch the eye of Boaz. And then as we look through chapters 2 and chapter 3, we see that they begin to build this relationship. And Boaz begins to take care of Ruth. Boaz begins to look after Ruth. And during this time, there is what's called the kinsman redeemer. 
And that means that if one is going through life and her husband dies, what should happen is the next of kin should come in and marry the woman so that that bloodline and that name will carry on. And so this family, they need a kinsman redeemer. And so Ruth is looking to Boaz, and she is, she is longing for Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer. When you look through the book of Ruth, you see so many different occasions where things just so happened. They just so happened. Just so happened that she went to this specific field. It just so happened that Boaz showed up. It just so happened that Boaz looked her way. You see, what I want you to notice is this. It's not coincidence. There's a reason that things happen. There's a reason that she was led to this field. And in your life, there is a reason that things are happening the way that they are. If we walk in the will of God, he's going to bring things to us. He's going to bring things to us so that we can glorify him, so that we can honor him. If we stay in the will of God, I believe he will bring reconciliation to relationships. I believe that he will give us wisdom, and he will give us guidance, and he will give us direction. But let me just say this also. Way back in chapter 2, what would have happened if Ruth would have said, you know what, Naomi, I'm with you. Life stinks right now. I'm just going to stay home and pout about it. You know what would have happened? She would have missed her appointment with Boaz. It is scary to think about all the things we miss out on because we get outside the will of God. Isn't it? To think, to think about how we can live so selfishly and about what we want to do and where we want to go that we block God out of our life. And when we block God out of our life, we can miss out on so much. I've been reminded of that lately in, in our life. We just had a baby girl. You guys know that. I may have shared this before. I can't remember. But I wasn't too keen on the idea. We've got two boys, and they are almost eight. And so I'm kind of thinking, you know what? Life is pretty good. When your kids get past five or six, they get easy. And so we're just having a good time. We're playing catch. I mean, we can go and tell them to go away and leave us alone. And it's just, you know, life can be good. And so Brittany had this desire for a, another baby. And she's had that desire for a long, long, long time. And she has nagged me about that for a long, long, long time. You know what I'm saying? But I kept saying, maybe I just, I just don't have the same feeling. I don't have the same desire. And part of it was just for selfish reasons. Babies are a lot of work. You know, I mean, they, they really, good Lord, they are a lot of work. They, they don't ever stop, you know. And so I'm thinking, I just don't know if I'm ready to go back down all that again. Finally, I gave in, gave it a shot. Said, we'll try for just a small amount of time. And she got pregnant real, real quick. It wasn't supposed to happen that way, but it did. And so the other day, I'm sitting there, and I'm holding Kaysen, you know, and, and I'm looking, and the boys were terrible babies. They would scream and holler and cry, wouldn't eat good, but Kaysen it's just a good baby. I mean, she just smiles and she sleeps all night most of the time, not last night. Sorry, I let mama take that feeding, but not last night, but usually. And so I'm just, I'm looking at her and I'm just thinking in my heart, I almost missed this. I mean, I, I got real close because I, I, I put this restriction on God and said, it's either going to happen in this little bitty window or it's not going to happen. And I'm thinking it's never going to happen. But I am so glad that it did happen. 
And I'm thinking there's, there's so many other things that maybe in my life, because I'm selfish, I just said, no, God, not doing it. No, God, not going there. No, God, not being a part of this. And so because of that, it could be that I just miss out on the blessings of God. The biggest thing that we've got to do as we go through life is try to stay in the center of the will of God. Now, that's, that's not easy. It's tough. We're going to look on Sunday morning how that means that we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. It's not easy, but the life of a victorious Christian walk means that we are staying in the center of the will of God. It means we wake up in the morning and we say, God, what do you want out of my life today? God, what do you want out of my marriage today? God, what do you want of me as a father today? God, at my job, at the business I'm at, God, what do you want me to do in that situation? It makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? But that is counter to culture to wake up that way. Usually we wake up and we say, God, it's all about me today, so make my life easy and make me happy. But we see that Ruth goes, she follows the Lord She's led by the Lord, and great things begin to happen. Y'all, that was a long introduction to get to chapter 4, wasn't it? I'm sorry. We're at chapter 4. I promise it doesn't mean we'll be here all night. We're just going to look and see where we get to. In chapter 4, we see three different people. We see the bridegroom, we see the bride, and then we see a baby. The bridegroom, the bride, and the baby. The end of chapter 3 ended, and Boaz said, I'm going to try to redeem you. The problem is you have a closer kinsman. And so I've got to go meet up with this closer kinsman and give him the option to redeem you. But if he won't, you can be assured that I will. And so here's a man on a mission. He's going out. He's being led by the Lord, and he's trying to do what's right. That's good, folks. If a man is going out and trying to do what's right, you got to love that. So we get to chapter 4. We're going to read a few verses here. It says, Now Boaz had gone up to the gate, and he sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, and sit down here. Pause just a second. Do you see the providence of God again? Again, it just so happened. Who's walking by? This relative is walking by. This is the man that he is supposed to meet with. And so he goes to the town square. He's waiting. And the Bible says it just so happens that this man is walking by. Again, he is in the right place at the right time. And God is getting ready to do something. Where were we? Here we are. Turn aside, friends. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. And then they said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. And then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Verse 7, 
Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal, and then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. In Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to carry on the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among the brothers and from the gate and the native place. You are witnesses this day. There's one word that you will see time and time again in the text that we just read. It is the word redeem. Redeem, it means to set free by paying a price. In the case of Ruth and Naomi, Elimelech's property was being sold. They did not have the resources. They could not redeem the property. And so somebody was going to come in and take the property. And Ruth was a part of this transaction. When it comes to us, Remember, as we look through Ruth, when we look at Boaz, we see a picture of Christ, right? We see a picture of Christ and how Christ comes and he seeks after us. He seeks after our heart and he calls us to salvation. When it comes to our spiritual life, Jesus gave his life as the ransom for sinners. And faith in him is what sets the captives free. It says in Ephesians 2, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. What were you doing? You were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. He said, you, you were lost. You were going through life and you were lost. You were going through life and you were living for yourself. You were going through life and you thought if you had a better job or if you had more money or if you had more relationships or if you had nicer things that you would find peace and joy and happiness. But it never does satisfy. The only freedom, peace, and joy that we can find comes from Jesus. Notice this. You ever go to the bookstore? You ever go to Books a Million, a place like that? Next time you do, if you do, go in and look and see what's on the bestseller list. Look and see what they had displayed all over the front. You know what I've found recently? I found when you go into the bookstore, you find all these books that are based upon deliverance. They're based upon deliverance. Now, we have never lived in a time that there is, there is such freedom. People can do anything they want to do. They can go wherever they want to go. But in the midst of all the freedom... There is so much addiction and codependency. Millions of people are in bondage to, to food or to sex or to drugs or to gambling or to work or to all these other masters. And I thank God that there are therapists and there are books to help in that. But the Bible tells us the way to be free is through Jesus Christ. John says, if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. He has come so that we can have freedom in our life, we can have purpose, and we can find joy. 
Now let's, let's look for just a moment about what a redeemer does. What are the marks of a redeemer? To begin with, the redeemer had to be a near kinsman. The redeemer had to be kin to the one which needed to be redeemed. That's why Boaz could not redeem immediately because there was one who was closer in relation. Do you know that for Jesus to redeem us, he had to become like us? In our redemption, Jesus had to be one of us so that we could find freedom. We see this in, in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What did he do? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I heard an illustration about that long ago and it it stuck with me. Um, You might have heard it too, I'm not sure. But it's talking about the way that, that God, Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is God and the just most glorious thing we can even try to imagine. But for Jesus to leave all that and to become man, that, that's huge. It's a huge step so that we can have reconciliation to the Father. And so I heard a guy tell it like this. He said, imagine that after church tonight, you're driving down the loop. You're driving down the loop, and all of a sudden you see something on the side of the road. You're not sure what it is, and so you, you pull over, and you, you get out of your car, and, and you begin to walk up to it. And as you get a little bit closer, you understand what it is. It is a dead animal that's been hit. And all of a sudden, the stench just hits you. I mean, it just, it's nasty. It stinks. But you, you keep on walking, and you walk, and you get right up to it, and you, you look down at it. And you see all the flies buzzing around. And you see the the maggots that are getting into the flesh. And it's just a disgusting, disgusting picture that you're looking at right in front of you. Now imagine the thought of going into that world and choosing to be a part of it. You say, there's no way, right? No way we would choose that. That is That is disgusting. What do we want to do? We want to get away from it as quickly as we can. You ever had that when you just smell something disgusting and you just, I mean, it just, you just want to get away from it? That is a picture of what Christ did for us. You see, there's no sin in heaven. There's no disease. There's no cancer. There's no broken relationships. These are all the effects of sin because we, we chose sin. But Jesus looked at all of this and he saw us and he loves us so much. He wants a relationship with us so much that he left glory. He left heaven. And he came and he lived a perfect, spotless life. And then he died one of the worst deaths you can imagine. He was beaten. He had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. He had nails driven in his hands and in his feet. And he hung on the cross. And as he hung on that cross, he took 
Every one of my sins on his perfect spotless body. Every one of your sins, everything you have done wrong, every thought that you've thought wrong. He took it on his body. And he took your spot. He paid your price so that you can have a relationship with the Father. And to do all of that, he had to become like us. You see, Boaz had this relation. He was kin. That was a a requirement to redeem. Jesus had to become like us so that we could have redemption. The next thing we see is that in order to qualify, the kinsman redeemer also had to be able to pay the price. Naomi would have loved to have been able to pay the price, but she couldn't, could she? Ruth would have loved to have been able to pay the price, but she couldn't. So they had to find someone who had the resources to pay the price. Now let's go back to Christ again. Do you realize that for our salvation, the only way that we can find salvation is through the shed blood of Jesus? There's no other way. You cannot come to church enough to earn salvation. You can't do it. You cannot give enough money to earn salvation. You can't do it. You cannot be a good enough person to earn salvation. You just can't do it. You can't be a good enough husband or wife or mother or father. You can't, none of these things will make a difference in our life. The only way that we can find salvation is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so the only one that's able to pay the price is Jesus in our life. Well, there's there's another step. Not only did he have to be able to pay the price, but he had to be willing to pay the price. He had to be willing to pay the price. And so we see with this With this other relative, he's got the money, he's got the resources, he is related, he's kin, but he's not willing. Now there's something that ought to excite us as believers. It ought to excite us that Jesus was willing to come and to do all this for me and for you. It wasn't, you know how there's things that we do in life and we feel like we have to do them? There's these things that you just feel like, well, I've got to do that. That that was not the case with Jesus. He chose to come, and he chose to live this life, and he chose to die this death, and he chose to take our sin because he loves us so much, and he wants to give us a joy that's unspeakable, a peace in our life. So he was willing to make the purchase. We see that in in our text that they go and they begin to have this, this meeting. And this man had the opportunity to redeem the land and redeem Ruth and Naomi, but he wasn't able because he was so caught up on his own stuff. What did he say? He said, I can't do that because what, what could have happened is if he took this family and he married Ruth and they had a son And if that was his only living heir, all his inheritance would go now to the family of Elimelech. And so he's really concerned with making sure that his name is great. He wants to make sure that what he's leaving behind is great, that his reputation is great. Now, somebody tell me, what is this man's name? It doesn't say. Here's a guy, and he's so bent on trying to protect his name and trying to make sure that people believe that he is great and to make sure that he's setting up his life in all these ways. But we're not even told his name. 
We have no recollection of who he is. His name did not make the text. But then you've got a man like Boaz who is just trying to do what's right. He's not worried about all this stuff that's out of his control. He's trying to do what's right, and he is named in the book of Ruth. He's named as a picture of Christ. He's named as one who brings about restoration and reconciliation, and there's great things that we see in Boaz. First John says, he who does the will of God abides forever. You worried about your future? You want to worry about the legacy that you're going to leave? Just abide in the will of God. Just, just do what the Lord leads you to do. Be a, a man of faith. Be a woman of faith that will just follow the Lord in your life. And then he says, you will abide forever. Well, let's look at verses 11 and 12. We're going to close up quickly. Verse 11 and 12. It says, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in, and that's Bethlehem, be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And so the people come together, and basically what they're saying is, we support you. We're behind you. We want to see great things from this relationship. In today's world, marriage is seen as a, a negative thing, right? You go to the, the job men, and you talk about marriage, and all, everybody's got the jokes, you know, they talk about it. Marriage is a beautiful thing. It ought to be something that, that we come together and we celebrate and we rejoice in what the Lord is doing in a family. And so they come together and they say, praise the Lord for this. Praise the Lord, Boaz, that you have found Ruth and that you're able to go and you're able to start a family. They say, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you with children. May your name be great. May your reputation be great. And you know what we begin to see? We begin to see rejoicing. Now, when we were in chapter 1, how much rejoicing did we see? Zilch, right? I mean, in chapter 1, you're thinking these folks will never smile again. There's never going to be a smile on their face again. But now we get to the end of the story. We get to chapter 4, and we see great rejoicing. Verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. Remember, he's talking to Naomi. What was Naomi way back? Bitter, hopeless, broken. There's no smile. I am a wretched, pitiful, bitter woman. And now they come, blessed be the Lord who has not left you. Can I remind you the Lord has not left you? No matter what you're going through, no matter how tough it is, how difficult it is, the Lord has not left you and he's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for your life. He shall be to you a restorer of life. He's going to restore you. A restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given you birth to him. And so the, the story begins to close, and they're blessed with a little baby. 
and they look at that baby and they see all the, all the joy and all the potential. And I believe in that moment, they see what the Lord has done to bring them to this point. Listen, don't give up on what the Lord's doing. Even in chapter 2, it looked grim. In chapter 3, it looked tough. But in chapter 4, we see that God was working everything together to bring out this incredible ending. Your life, your story, the Lord is working in it. And so this baby, Obed, is born. And out of him, out of his line, comes Jesse. And through Jesse comes David, right? King of Israel, David. And through the bloodline of David, who comes? Jesus. And so we see in chapter 1, it is low, there is despair. But then we find a baby in chapter 4. From this baby comes David. From David comes the Messiah. And from the Messiah comes the salvation to the whole entire world. That's good stuff, isn't it? But when you get to chapter 1, you don't see any of it. That's the power of God. Even when you don't see it, you don't realize it, and there, there's bad hospital reports going on, and you're nervous, you're anxious, there's struggles in your life. As people of God, it means that we trust him, and we're faithful, and we stay in his will, and we allow him to work in ways that we could never do on our own. So I want you to think about it in your life. What is it that seems impossible? What is it in your life that if you're honest, you're just bitter about? If you're honest, it's just a tough spot. And if you're honest, you kind of feel like God's done with it, like there's no hope. It is a hopeless situation. Are you reminded tonight that it's not over? Chapter 1 might be over. Chapter 2 might be over. But the last chapter has not been written yet. And so God's working throughout it. You say, well, what do I do in the meantime? You know what you do in the meantime? You've got a finance problem, you've got a relationship problem, a marriage problem, whatever. You know what you do, what, what I do in the meantime? We seek after God. We stay in the will of God. We wake up in the morning and say, Lord, what do you want out of my life? Lord, how can I be the man or the woman that you've called me to be today? Will we do it perfectly? No. Close? Maybe not but we keep on seeking, we keep on trying so that we become more godly. We become that man or that woman that we're proud of. And so don't lose hope. Don't lose hope on whatever's going on in your life. Follow the Lord and let him work through it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us. Lord, and we thank you how the story is not over. God, you're working, you're working in uh, this family we have studied, God, and you're working in our lives also. And so, Lord, I pray if there is a situation that seems hopeless, God, that tonight you've given some hope. God, if there is despair, if there's bitterness, God, I pray that tonight you have given that, that glimmer of, of light, that glimmer of hope that shows it's not done. And Lord, may we seek you and may we honor you in all that we do, Lord. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen.